What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon, and we've got a show today that will put you ahead of the curve on some of the key conversations taking place these days in the renewables sector. Numerous companies are striving to match their energy consumption on a daily, intraday, or even hourly basis with renewable energy sources. It's an ambitious goal, and I'm going to be joined in a minute by Matt Wytock and David Miller from Gridmatic. Their team leverages artificial intelligence to make that energy matching a reality. Oh, and speaking of AI, the rise of ChatGPT and other generative AI solutions has propelled the technology to the top of the headlines. Not a day goes by when we don't hear about some company using AI in some new way. Or see stories about how many jobs AI is going to make obsolete. But you know what we don't hear much about? how much energy it takes to power the computers that are cranking through all those AI algorithms. In fact, this story arc is eerily similar to cryptocurrency. Crypto had been on the scene for a while before people started asking some hard questions about how much energy all those crypto mining computers were pulling from the grid. Well, guess what? AI is no different. So Matt and David are also going to share their insights on how AI can help solve an energy consumption conundrum created by the popularity of AI. So yeah, energy matching and AI's own energy footprint are a couple of topics that are going to be around for a while. So I hope you enjoy learning more about them today with the team from Gridmatic. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined today by part of the Brain Trust from Gridmatic. First up is Matt Wytock, the founder and CEO. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Sean. You know, great to be with you today. And we're also joined by David Miller, the Vice President of Business Development. David, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I want to start talking a little bit about, you know, what your firm does. A lot of our listeners might not be familiar with it. So why don't you kind of give us the basics? What does Gridmatic do and where are your segments of business? Gridmatic is a clean energy power marketer. We contract with wind, solar, battery storage assets to buy the power from them. And then we sell it to data centers and other clean energy buyers. How long have you been operating in this space? We were founded in 2017. Okay. So among those energy suppliers and customers and, and maybe even storage owners, you know, what kind of trends are you seeing these days in those markets? Well, we're seeing a lot of growth in all of these activities um, due to a variety of industry factors. Um In particular, the Inflation Reduction Act has really charged forward a lot of the supply of renewable energy. And then on the demand side, we're seeing a lot of these customers that set more ESG-related environmental goals for the carbon intensity of their electricity consumption. And so that's leading to, to higher demand as well. And when you add all that up together, you get a lot more clean energy, uh, but simultaneously, uh, more risk in the marketplace due to the variability of that clean energy, uh, which is a lot more volatile than the electricity grid has traditionally operated. How do your offerings work? You know, how do they help your customers navigate that volatility? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, traditionally, the way that you know, folks operate large power plants in the grid is a fairly manual process, right? So you have teams of people who are looking at weather forecasts, price forecasts, quantity forecasts, deciding how they're going to schedule their power plant, deciding how they're going to buy electricity to serve their customers. And so what we've done and what we're working on is really trying to automate 
that entire process. And to do that, what you need to do is basically forecast what's happening with the weather, what's happening with demand, what's happening at kind of a fundamental level on the grid, and then connect that to end-to-end automated decision-making with you know, optimization and risk management. And so really the, the product that we offer for something like battery storage is you know, that end-to-end kind of operating platform that for the most part is fully automated and you know, could do things like optimize when the battery charges or discharges. So we're hearing a lot about negative headlines, I should say, about artificial intelligence. So it sounds like uh, this is AI actually doing some good. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, AI really has a fundamental role to play in solving the balancing problem on the grid. And, you know, I think the traditional ways of burning fuels to meet demand just, you know, is, is, a, is a paradigm that doesn't exist in the future where most of the supply is going to be coming from wind and from solar. And, you know, we really need better ways and more sophisticated mechanisms for managing how we use electricity and managing you know, how we balance the grid. And that's, you know, that's really the, where AI can help. So obviously we're hearing trends about companies that are trying to match their energy, energy usage daily or intradaily or even hourly. So is that one of the things that your platform offers and, and how does that work? Yeah, that's right. We have a um, customer right now that's a data center customer that is looking to do hourly matching of their consumption with uh, renewable power. And so we uh, are currently have been serving them for uh, now the past nearly six months uh, doing that where we match and record the generation mix from renewables uh, lined up with the times that they're consuming. And there are a lot of challenges to doing that. There's the upfront challenge of forecasting kind of what is the right resource mix to match this customer. Because if you buy lots and lots of wind and solar, you can match it on an hourly basis, but that'll be very expensive because you'll have a bunch of excess that you won't be able to get full credit for. Uh, So our platform does upfront analysis to forecast the output and and construct a a portfolio that's lower cost. And then once you get into the operating phase, we can take advantage of the flexibility uh, of resources in order to deliver on the matching targets that our customers set. So that could mean using wholesale battery storage to charge and discharge at the right times to make sure that the customers are being matched with renewable power or taking advantage of the flexibility of the customer's load shape itself if they can have the ability to, uh, for instance, uh, adjust the set points on their air conditioning during certain times of the day or or schedule loads at different time periods. And for all those things, the data that's available is not available in real time. Uh, So even with smart meters, which have been rolled out to most customers these days, it's typically at least a one-day lag. And in one case that we have, it can be up to a 30-day lag. And Likewise, on the generation side, there's often a lag of knowing exactly what the production is because uh, market operators are are not able to share information in real time. And so that has a significant need for forecasting services in order to actually do the matching at high levels. And that's really where we come in and can deliver that forecasting and optimization to make sure that the matching occurs. Okay, then when it comes to resiliency, obviously there's a lot of demand out there for various reasons, right? You know, there's load to the grid, even natural disasters, things like that. What are the conversations you're having with you know market participants on that topic? Well, I think the way uh, we interact with the market on resiliency is primarily as it relates to battery storage. We're working with a number of large-scale, grid-scale battery storage project owners. And for them, being available during the peak periods of the grid is really 
critically important. And in some cases, uh, that means thinking about when they're going to be scheduling their load. So as an example, uh, we have a contract with a customer where we are effectively leasing a large battery on the grid. And in that contract, we can provide notice a few days in advance if we're expecting a major weather event to occur. Um, and that notice has contractual implications for you know, the availability of the facility and gives them heads up that we really want to make sure that it's available, um, which is important for us to make sure that we're you know, available during those peak periods for financial reasons. But it's also important for the grid that it's sending the right price signals to make sure that these capacity resources, which are designed to be available during the peak periods, actually are available during the peak periods. And to make sure that, that happens, it, it does require this forecasting on a multi-day basis. Okay. Now, obviously, you mentioned your platform has kind of AI underpinnings. And you know we're hearing a lot about AI in the news. I mean, I was joking earlier, but it's definitely a hot topic. And one of the notes I was seeing is that all these server farms or whatever, computer farms that everyone's building out, those are going to kind of be the new crypto, right? A few years ago, we all focused on how crypto was straining the grid and hogging up all this energy. Are we in a place where that AI arms race, if you will, will become a pretty massive burden on the grid? You know, that's that's a great question. And, you know, there is an explosion happening in AI right now and a lot of excitement. I think you know, when you look at kind of the broader story around decarbonization, a lot of that is about greater electrification, right? So, you know, you know, we're turning these end uses of energy. So think about transportation, right? How do we make transportation clean? Well, we convert vehicles to electric and then we charge them with clean electricity, right? So so our thesis actually is that we're going to see a big growth in electricity demand across all these industries, right? And so yes, AI is going to grow and and you know that's going to create more demand, which sometimes creates challenges in certain grids and certain places. But also transportation, electric vehicles are growing. We're going to see, you know, green hydrogen, you know, big, big installations are being built now in, in places like Texas. And you know, as we move all of these, you know, heating and cooling to electricity. So we really see a lot of growth in electricity in general. And I think that's actually going to be able to, you know, build this more dynamic grid in the future where you can, as long as you can manage, you know, when you use that, that electricity, that, you know, it's actually going to lead to a better solution uh, down the road. Yeah, I love that. It's not, I mean, there's something to be said for having a platform that uses AI to help tackle a challenge that's kind of being compounded by the growth of AI. <laughs> so there's there's some kind of joke in there. I'm struggling to find it, but it, but it's in there somewhere. We say that we just we, you know we work for the the computers in many ways, and so you know we're just we're just here to you know keep the AI running and, and doing the right thing. I think pretty soon we'll all be working for the computers, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, what are the questions you've been fielding from say energy customers? You know, as as more companies are kind of trying to shift to ESG reporting and climate disclosure practices, obviously. It seems like the interest and in the questions from those companies have, have got to be ramping up. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think you know we're seeing a lot of uh, folks concerned with the status quo of kind of climate or uh, carbon reporting, and in particular, there are a lot of concerns around greenwashing. Um, I'm 100 green. You know, what does that actually mean? Um, when you dive into it, in some cases, that can be you know cost companies that are doing really direct, meaningful things to improve the carbon intensity of their operations. In other cases, it's a much more tenuous link. A lot of companies use uh, renewable energy credits or RECs 
to claim that their electricity usage is renewable, even though those wrecks may have been produced by a resource that was located you know, somewhere very far away at time periods that were not when the company was producing it. And so it only kind of works, that regime only kind of works if someone else is willing to kind of balance out the grid for you and doesn't care about having actual green power. And so we're getting a lot of customers who are saying, okay, we understand that there's concerns with how things have traditionally been done, but what's next? You know, like how are we going to move forward here? And I think this this time matching is is one where one area where um, there's a lot of interest, but there's a lot of uncertainty as well. There there aren't really good standards. Um, there aren't uh, other than in a few uh, limited locations right now. There aren't third party exchanges that can uh, track and register the uh, credits on a, on a time basis. And really, you know, folks are looking for kind of someone to to kind of ex, you know, set standards and and create these programs. I think ultimately it will come from the bodies that have set up the existing standards, which tend to go back to the states in, in the U.S. Um, but in the meantime, I think companies are looking for you know help in designing programs with, that they think are the right way that they can show as as uh, moving in a positive direction, because I think. There isn't clear alignment on what the direction should be, but I think there is a lot of alignment that the current status quo for claiming a carbon-free consumption is, is not really accurate. What's your take on the evolution of, of the rec markets? Do you think we're going to get there in terms of to a place where it's, you know, there's a proper exchange set up or just you know, the infrastructure is there to, to do this stuff real time? We hope so. I mean, uh, to the projects that we've done so far, um, we, we've done some bespoke solutions, and we would love to tap into a more centralized exchange that increases liquidity and allows more participants in the market at a lower cost to do these kind of time-matched products. I think ultimately it'll be driven by um, voluntary uh, procurements from from large industries, and then potentially we'll see it being driven in uh, certain sectors. So, for example, the, the U.S. Treasury is, is currently considering the guidance for what is going to make green hydrogen eligible as green hydrogen for the production tax credit. And one of the things that a lot of folks are, are looking for is to make sure that that green energy is time matched and produced by new renewable resources. Because if it's not, we could be you know, creating green hydrogen, quote unquote, that is more dirty than creating hydrogen directly from fossil fuels. And so that may be one industry where because the specifics of the tax credit are such that it's defined as, as requiring more advanced environmental attributes, you may see more innovation in terms of the, the changes from, from RECs to the next generation of time-matched credits uh, that, are, that are tailored for that industry. So I think we'll see it, you know, companies that are forward-looking and in specific industries, and hopefully those will lead to more standards being created, which will then allow everyone else to participate as well. That segues to our next topic, the Inflation Reduction Act. How have you seen that impact the markets? It's been a huge impact. I mean, really, in, in, uh, I, I've worked in the renewable energy field for uh, over a decade, and, and it's been the biggest uh, policy change that, that I've seen in my career related to renewable energy. I think there have been a number of third-party reports that have forecasted the impact just in terms of new build of renewables. And it's on the order of 20 gigawatts incremental wind by 2030, 20 gigawatts incremental solar something not quite that large, but similar on the storage side. I and mean, we're just seeing the certainty and the values of the, of the tax credits are really um, making a material impact on, on the growth. 
And it's as a result, it's it's really pushing the pressure in the development of these projects to new new places. So whereas before, you know, it may have been hard on a number of projects to make the economics work just based on equipment costs and, and the value in the market. Now with the tax credit, the economics look good, but the projects can't get built because there are other constraints like the interconnection queues are clogged or, or permitting is going too slowly. So it, it's really kind of changed the bottleneck in the overall system, uh, which has been, uh, you know, fundamentally uh, creates new challenges to deal with. Matt, what are your impressions of the Inflation Reduction Act and how it's kind of changing the conversation you have with clients or potential clients? Yeah, I mean, I think as David said, you know, kind of bringing forward that certainty around, you know, what the revenue is going to be for things like storage, which are still quite difficult to plan for, you know, so merchant battery storage, it's it's a difficult task to try to estimate how much revenue is that going to generate. So things like the Inflation Reduction Act help, you know, people who want to build those projects really, you know, get them over the line and get things built. And, you know, I think that's really exciting, you know, for us, because I think they, you know, that creates a need for the types of solutions to then operate those, those battery storage projects and other new types of uh, things. And so I think, you know, in terms of, of moving forward, the future, so to speak, I think that it's, it's been very positive from our perspective. All right. And speaking of the future, I like to ask guests to give me bold predictions about their specific niche in the marketplace. So Matt, why don't you go first? Do you have any bold predictions on how the marketplace for real-time renewables will look in, say, five years? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the prediction that I will make is that when you look at the kind of actual orchestration of real-time energy and clean energy, so be that battery storage, be that EV charging, it's all going to be fully automated, right? And I think Maybe that sounds obvious to us here, but I think that's it's actually quite bold in terms of the way the grid operates today. And so that's, you know, it's not at all how gas plants operate, for example. It's not at all at how the grid operator, you know, works either. They have people looking at screens and, and making decisions. And so so I think the next generation, you know, EV fleets, battery storage, fully automated in five years. David, any predictions from you? My prediction is that the types of AI-based models that we're using as power marketers in the marketplace will be adopted by more market participants, including the grid operators. Today, uh, most grid planning is done through optimal power flow-based models, which are physics-based models of the grid. They look at each individual device on the grid and try to look at how uh, electrons will, uh, will will flow and are used in that way to solve a least cost dispatch. And our view is that that approach to, to problem solving will be augmented in certain applications by AI-based models, which are statistics-based models uh, used to predict outcomes for grid operations without actually modeling the underlying physics of the grid and are better in, in certain applications for looking at a wide scenario analysis. So my prediction is that grid operators will adopt AI-based models of the grid. So talk about your customers, right? In your conversations with them, what are the biggest challenges that they're trying to tackle? Uh, Matt, why don't you take that first? Yeah, I think the, you know, the biggest challenge that we're seeing is your folks who are trying to essentially convert their operations to, you know, clean energy, right? It's 100% 
clean energy? What does that mean? How do we define it? How do we account for it? How do we purchase it? How do we manage it? And so I think that's a lot of uh, companies, you know, want to take that path. And, you know, there's been big announcements from data centers like Google and Microsoft and those teams, but actually making that a reality is an open question. And, you know, I think that's a challenge that, that we're all faced with right now. And so I think that's, you know, pretty an interesting one. And David, business development is your role. So you must be fielding all kinds of questions. And what are some of the most popular? Yeah, I think uh, the questions that we often get are just around um, how do we get, I mean, the customers get get comfortable with the solution? How, how do we trust it? You know, we can show results that have great performance in terms of improving the uh, reliability or performance or profitability of a resource on the electricity grid. And people really like that. But anytime you're doing something that's different than the status quo, there's always concern of, well, you know, is it going to work in this case? Or is my situation different? Or, or is there you know, something that uh, doesn't apply for, for these examples? And in a big industry with large capital costs, there's just a natural conservatism which is justified, right? You, you can't just build a $100 million piece of infrastructure and then make mistakes that damage it or, or, or cause it to, to not perform the way it's intended to. And so I think AI-based models in, in general are a challenge to explain. Uh, sometimes you know you can't tell exactly what's happening, even if you can, can see the results. And so I think that that's a challenge that both our customers and we face is, is just getting comfortable with making a transition to a future state of technology, which... I think we at the company are, are true believers is going to happen, and many of our customers are as well. But just figuring out what are the things to look for that are going to get someone who's in charge of, of a very, very expensive, very precious asset to, uh, to get comfortable with changing the way they're doing things. You kind of mentioned the challenges you guys are facing as well, David. So internally, you know, in your own operations and your own growth plan, what are, what are some of the biggest things that are on your radar in terms of things you've got to tackle to, to continue on that path to growth? Sure. I think in some areas, it, it's different than in others. I'd say certain cases, we really see that there's a large appetite for what we're doing. I think we have a lot of traction among um, certain types of customers, data centers that are very forward looking uh, from an environmental perspective or uh, grid scale battery storage project owners. And there, it's really about achieving scale quickly. Um, so being able to, to deliver um, all the, the needs that we see and do so effectively and at a high level of service. Um, for other, other types of customers, I think there is a bit of uh, a timing question. Uh, green hydrogen was an example that Matt raised earlier. And I think for us, we believe that it's going to happen. The, the fundamental economic drivers look strong, but the timing of it's not totally clear to us. We're not experts in, in how it'll come together because uh, there's a very complex systems that I don't think anyone has truly figured out how to permit and build a, you know, a massive green hydrogen facility with new technology that hasn't been done before. And so when we think about how are we going to invest our R&D and what are the areas that we're going to focus on, um, there are a lot of questions of how quickly should we be focused, or should we be moving on these different new areas? That's something we talk about a lot. Matt, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I, I think David had a had a good summary there. I think you know, at a more uh, kind of meta level, I would say that we're at this interesting intersection between software and hardware and you know physical systems. And so, you know, if you're building a startup in a pure software space, it's basically how quickly can you get people to use it, 
and you know get adoption and you know you know grow 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 in our case you know we're kind of coming along alongside a bigger wave in the energy transition as as new assets are being built and capital is being deployed and and so synchronizing the development of the technology and the business with you know those waves of of new asset deployments and new uh, phases of of building out the next generation infrastructure is just a really interesting question and and one that you know we we think about a lot in terms of where should we be investing our time and where should we you know what's the biggest focus for for right now okay and as we're all kind of talking about this you know real time renewables with you know time matching down to the hour and things like that or minute by minute eventually i guess is kind of the, the long term goal are there any regions or I should say markets in the US do you think are a little farther along the line or closer to getting there than others? Yeah, I think the the biggest challenge with that is really, you know, a large amount of renewable penetration. So really the west, you know, starting from Texas, you know, the middle of the country, the you know, California has a lot of, you know, just renewable power. So that's number one. And then the second piece is the flexibility, right? So in order to get to you know, really match up that clean energy with the demand, flexibility is needed either from battery storage, hydro resources, geothermal. And so so really it's a combination of that resource mix. And I think uh, at the moment that, you know, I would say the middle of the country, including Texas and the Western United States has that resource mix a little bit, you know, further developed than you know, for example, the Northeast markets. But, uh, you know, I think everyone is focused on how do we get there as quickly as possible. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have today for our conversation. Uh, I really want to thank both of you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. All right, everyone. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow this show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, please be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues. Have a great day.